and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. This week we'll be looking at issue number 544, May the 6th, 1995, £1.45. The cover stars for this week's Kerrang! are the Wild Hearts. Fuck this, the Wild Hearts escape from New York. Nirvana bassman Chris's new band. Quids off at Virgin. Thunder first UK tour review. Pearl Jam, Stone Gossard launches label. White Zombie taps out for the lads. Reef Extreme Motorhead UK dates. Meat Machine Head, It's About Oral Sex, Therapy Steamy New LP Exclusive, plus Aussie, Offspring, Monster Magnet and Collective Soul. Blimey. There is a lot in this week's um, episode. <laughs> episode. I, I always get those two confused. I always say this week's episode, but when we're talking about an issue, and it is this week's issue, but I'm doing an episode of a podcast. God forgive me. Uh, in the UK... There was a uh, bank holiday just gone, which means uh, we all get Monday off work. Uh, and I also took Friday off work, so I've had a four-day weekend. And I'm feeling a little bit worse for wear today, I've got to say. Um, I don't know if my brain is fully engaged yet, but it will be as, uh, as we uh, crack, on, crack on with this podcast. If you would like to get in contact with us here at Karangback Issues, we can be contacted via Instagram, Karangback Issues, Twitter, Karangpod, and email, karangbackissues at gmail.com. This past week, uh, we've been having a little bit of fun on Instagram. Uh, said no one ever. No, that's not true. I actually really like Instagram. Um, I don't. I try not to do too much social media, but Instagram's actually a really uh, fun way to talk to people. Um, so I posted up about how I think that the single soundtrack, singles uh, original soundtrack from the film, is probably the greatest soundtrack that's ever been made, in my very humble opinion. Obviously, people came back to me with The Crow. I get that. Um, Judgment Night, Demon Night. I had uh, someone say that Little Nicky was the best soundtrack ever made. And I actually looked, at, looked up the track listing for Little Nicky. It's not terrible, you know. <laughs> I'm quite surprised. I might have to give that one a listen. I listened to everything that everyone said. And I still don't believe that there's a better soundtrack to... Um, soundtrack to? Uh, there's a better soundtrack than singles. I just think it was a perfect record, perfect songs. Um one of my favourite Pearl Jam songs on there, so obviously I'm absolutely biased. Um, also, there was a little bit of chat uh, this past week about um, Astro Creek 2000, Songs of Love, Destruction, and other synthetic delusions of the electric head by White Zombie, only getting 4Ks and not getting 5Ks. Um, I agree, I think it is a 5K record. I think it's absolutely brilliant. But I also understand from uh, last week's issue of Kerrang, how the reviewer only gave it four because he didn't like the last couple of songs. I totally get that. I respect it. You know, that is it's the reviewer's choice, right? I think a lot of the times when the reviews are done in Kerrang, you don't know actually how much the reviewer has listened to the record. Uh, you would hope they've given it at least five or ten spins, but there are certain records that you know take a long time. I mean, was it Dookie that got three Ks and Smash got four Ks? Uh, or was it the other way around? I can't remember. Or was it Smash that got three and Dookie got four? Either way, I think both those records are 5K albums. But obviously with that, a lot of that is hindsight. And a lot of that is that I listened to those records for years after they came out. And they still hold up. And I still think they're great records. Um, it is interesting. This is why I love doing this podcast. Because I just love um, what people were saying about music at the time. Compared to like what we say about it in hindsight. And how we you know, often look through... The 90s in roast with roast tinted glasses. Um, I'm very guilty of doing that because for me it's the best era of music probably ever <laughs> because it was so so brilliant. And it also probably goes along with the fact that I was a teenager and I was new to music, so you know it was incredibly exciting. I've got mates that are older that say the 80s is the best, I've got people that say the 60s are the best. I totally get that for me, the 90s was the best, but it's really interesting looking at these. Issues occurring and seeing stuff in hindsight and seeing how they, um, you know, talk about records and how, it, you know, how albums are given bad reviews and later on they're amazing and how some albums are given amazing reviews and later on they're forgotten about. Collective Soul getting 5Ks last week. I I kind of think that that band's been pretty much forgotten about, but, you know, they got 5Ks, so obviously the reviewer thinks it's an incredible record. Anyway, let's move on with this week's uh, issue and we'll start off with a swift word from the editor. Oh, by the way, before we go on to the swift word from the editor, there's no singles this week. Don't know why. Maybe they didn't have any singles to review or maybe there was nothing good out. Either way. 
Crikey, you naff off to get hitched and look what happens. Therapy complete their new plat as C page 4, the Wild Arts have got bored with the USA, page 31, Nirvana man Chris Novoselic has put together his new band Sweet 75, page 17, and uh, Lawnmower Death are playing their last ever gig in a bid to flog their surplus of dodgy t-shirts, page 666. Amazing. Even more amazing is the fact that you can read about all this and more in this week's sizzling 64 pages of the Big K. Yes, it's another hectic ride, bringing you the hottest news, the most in-depth reviews and the kind of features that will have your mum reaching for the Valium. This week we get Pissed with Skyclad, page 26, Tattooed with White Zombie, page 38, Branded with Deicide, page 42 and we grab a few loose grooves with Pearl Jam, Stone Gossard and its new label, page 15. What would the world's only weekly what's on guide to everything loud and snotty and your chance to save one pound off top albums at Virgin Records, Kerrang 544 is the best thing since Kerrang 543. Till next week, stay clean, Phil Alexander, editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mayhem, the loudest news first. It's heavy as fuck. Therapy, set to blow you away with Infernal Love. Therapy will release their eagerly awaited new album Infernal Love on June the 12th and a new single stories on May 22nd and they'll be playing a series of UK shows to celebrate. The Irish hooligans will be coming over all punk and belligerent at the following venues. Leeds Town and Country June the 8th, Norwich UEA 9th, Wolverhampton Wolfram Hall 10th, Nottingham Rock City 14th, Cambridge Corn Exchange 15th. And although the trio have yet to confirm a London date, a spokesman for the band has revealed that they're definitely planning to make a special appearance in the capital, details of which will be announced shortly. The band have just returned from a tour of Australia, New Zealand and Japan. Whilst down under, they hooked up with the Alternative Nation Touring Festival for tour dates, sharing the bill with Nine Inch Nails, Faith No More, Live, Body Count, L7, Tool, Primus and Pennywise. We feel like something's really beginning to kick in there infuses McKeegan. We've an unbelievable amount of critical acclaim, so playing live really gave us a chance to impress a lot of people. By the time we flew out, we hadn't rehearsed together for a month, I was really, really shitting myself. But it went brilliantly. Do me, noisy, dirty. Infernal Love is the most radical album of Therapy's career. Aided and abetted by knob twiddler Al Clay, they've taken the riftastic songs of Troublegum several large steps forward. It's brilliant, gushes McKeegan. We thought we could make something really special and we're chuffed as fuck with what we've done. Stop Press and Machine Head will be making a personal appearance at Power Cuts in Manchester at 4pm on May 29th. A well-known band, whose name rhymes with television, will be playing a secret gig at Liverpool's Crazy House on May the 15th. Live have hit the number one spot on the Billboard album chart in the US with their throwing copper platter. Richie Blackmore's reformed rainbow will headline London's Hammersmith Apollo on November the 3rd. The band's touring lineup remains to be confirmed. Marillion will release their new album Afraid of Sunlight through EMI on June the 19th. It will be preceded by a single Beautiful on May 22nd. Ozzy Osbourne has moved from Paris to New York to continue recording his new album Osmosis. However, the sessions have obviously been interrupted by the extraordinary sacking of guitarist Zach Wilde as revealed exclusively in the Big Kerrang! last week. Zach has already recorded eight songs for the album. He'll lay down another two tracks this week before finally leaving the Osborne camp for good, but don't expect an announcement on his replacement until the end of the summer. Ironically, all of the work he's done so far for his latest Aussie platter is superb. Aussie and his band, completed by bassist Terry Geezer Butler and drummer Dean Castronovo, have five fully finished songs in the can, with the same number near completion, and the album that's coming together is set to blow you away. Quite simply, it's the best and most complete platter of Ozzy's solo career. Knob twiddler Michael Beanhorn masterminding the perfect balance between riff-heavy rockers, Sabbath-style chuggers and top-notch melodic anthems, all of which is why the double O who's sitting in Manhattan's right track studios is a thoroughly happy and contended budgie. I'd started to build up a resentment about people telling me how to do this and that, he begins. But then I had a moment of clarity. You know what the fuck are you doing, Ozzy? Why are you being like this? Why is every time your wife or anybody suggests something you go through the fucking roof? I thought, if I did it my way and the album went down the toilet, then I'd forever be fucked up about it. I mean, when it comes to recording, I don't know about the knobs, the mics or anything. I just know stop, start and record. I realised you can't have a dog and do all the barking yourself. I had to let Michael Beanhorn do his thing. 
Down, the cult underground band fronted by Pantera's Phil Anselmo are finally set to record their first album. The Louisiana outfit are completed by Corrosion of Conformity guitarist Pepper Keenan and Crowbar trio Kirk Weinstein guitar, Todd Strange bass and Jimmy Bowers drums. Up until now, their major piece of recorded work was a free track demo from 1991, the first of two tapes the band made. Down came about because all five of us were sitting around drinking and smoking one night and just decided to get up and record something, explains Bowers. It was a very spontaneous thing. We always had it in mind to record an album one day, and it's just been a case of getting everyone's schedules to coincide, which hasn't exactly been easy. The quintet intends to go into a studio in New Orleans later this month. The album, which will be self-produced, is scheduled to appear towards the end of the year. We've already had interest from a few labels, reveals Strange. Now it's just a case of sorting out the best deal for the band. Musically, we describe Down as being a modern southern rock act, but with a real metal edge. It doesn't really sound like any of the other bands we're all associated with, but on the other hand, there's something there for Pantera, Corrosion of Conformity, and Crowbar fans. And Anselmo also has several other side projects on the go. He's involved with so many it just amazes me, laughs Bowers. I'm in a band with him called Both Legs Broken, then there's Body and Blood, it just goes on and on. Extreme returned to the UK in June for their first live show since their appearance at last year's Donington. The Boston crew will be giving you more than words on the following dates. Newport Centre June 15th, Wolverhampton Civic Hall 16th, Glasgow Barrowlands 30th, Manchester Apollo July 1st, London Hammersmith Apollo 2nd. Tickets for all shows are priced £11 except for London where they are £12.50 and £10. They're available now from the individual box offices and the usual ticket outlets. To date, no support act has been confirmed for the tour. And to coincide with the tour, Nuno Betancourt & Co will also have a new single release through A&M on June the 19th. The A-side is Unconditionally, which is taken from the quartet's recent album Waiting for the Punchline. Motorhead, the legendary British metal stalwarts, will play three UK shows in June. The Head will be serving up the following summer scorchers, Wolverhampton Civic Hall June 9th, Manchester Apollo 10th, London Brixton Academy 11th. These are the first clutch of British head gigs for Eons, and they'll also mark the first time the band have appeared on these shores as a trio since their early 80s heyday, following the departure of long-serving guitarist Wurzel last month and the subsequent decision not to replace him for the imminent bout of roadwork. The band are currently touring Europe on the back of their acclaimed new album Sacrifice. They're being supported on the continent by Gripping, the combo put together by ex-Slayer drummer Dave Lombardo. However, there's no word as yet on whether Lombardo's crew will appear on the UK leg of the tour. There's also been no word as yet from the head camp on whether they'll be auditioning for a new six-stringer at some point in the future. Richie Manic update. Richie Manic has now been missing for 92 days. Pearl Jam guitarist Stone Gossard will launch his own record label Loose Groove in the UK on June. Oh, I was supposed to say on June the something. <laughs> in the UK, in June. Nice one, Crane. Gossard formed Loose Groove with Satchel drummer Reagan Hagar and knob twiddler Dennis Herring. So far, the trio have signed six bands, four new acts and two defunct artists. The first album to be released will be a compilation set entitled Loose Groove Volume 1, featuring material from all the label's acts on June the 5th. It will retail for the ridiculously cheap price of £2.49. Brand are of course the side project Gossard and Hagar put together to record the one-off album Shame back in 93, while Malfunction with the Seattle Seamsters fronted by the late Andrew Wood prior to his defection to Mother Love Bone. Of the uh, quartet of acts, Loose Groove of Sign, Devil Head feature Wood brothers Kevin and Brian, Weapon uh, of Choice are a wildly diverse funk rock crew, Pros and Concepts are the Northwest prime underground hip-hop combo, and Critters Buggin are an all-instrumental schizoid outfit who use mixed guitars, bass and drums with sax guitars, clarinets and waffles. All four bands have already released their debut albums in the US and Loose Groove are set to unleash all of them in the UK on July the 3rd. In addition, both Devilhead and Weapon of Choice look set to tour the UK in September with Satchel. Chris Novoselic, the ex-Nirvana bassist, has finally unveiled his new band, Sweet 75, a year on from the death of Kurt Cobain. While his erstwhile colleague Dave Grohl and his Foo Fighters were attracting all the attention with their first live shows in Seattle and Portland a couple of months ago, Novoselic made a low-key beginning by playing an unannounced support slot to former sub-pot label mates Tad at the RCKNDY in Seattle. Sweet 75 comprised Novoselic, vocalist Eva Las Vegas, co-owner of the Funky Store in Seattle, and drummer John from Colorado. 
Although their appearance with Tad was not publicised, word leaked out and there was a packed house to witness Nova Selich's first musical outing on the stage for 12 months. Since the end of Nevada, the basis has been busy supporting numerous political causes in Washington state, most notably the Washington Coalition Against Censorship, which is currently fighting the introduction of a government bill to censor music. Earlier this year, he had led a public protest on the steps of the state's Capitol building in Olympia. Records News and Autopsy, the Florida death metal trio, issue a new album titled Shit Fun through Peaceville on May 22nd. The full track listing is... Small note, if you have any uh, young children listening, you might want to pause this or turn it down because these song titles are golden. Death Mask, Humiliate Your Corpse, Fuck Dog, Praise the Children, The Birthing, Shit Eater, Formal to High, I Sodomize Your Corpse, Geek, Brain Damage, Blood Orgy, No More Hate, Grave Violators, Maim Rape Kill Rape, I Shit on Your Grave, Ahead to the Misery, The 24 Public Mutilations, Bathe in Fire, Bow Ripper, Burnt to a Fuck and Excremental Ecstasy. Live, one of America's hottest bands release a new single through Radioactive on June 19th. Available in two CD and cassette formats, the A-side on all of these will be selling the drama. In addition, the first CD will have live versions of I Alone and Operation Spirit, whilst the second CD, available on June 26th, also have live renditions of The Dam at Otter Creek and Selling the Drama. The cassette format has a live version of The Dam at Otter Creek. All live tracks will be taken from the bootleg album I Alive. The Ramones, the New York Free Called Wonders, issue a new album titled Adios Amigos through Chrysalis on June the 19th. The uh, band will tour to coincide with this release. Wasp, Blackie Lawless and his troops issue a new album titled Still Not Black Enough through Raw Power Castle on June the 12th. The album also has contributions from guitarist Bob Kulick and drummer Frankie Banali. However, contrary to rumour, original Axeman Chris Holmes has not returned to the ranks. Tour news and Electric Wizard, the Doom Band headlined London, Camden, Dublin, Castle, Devil's Church on May the 7th, supported by Morn and Our Haunted House. English Dogs, the punk outfit, continue to promote their current album Bell to None with a date at London Tottenham Standard on May the 10th. Killdozer, the US Marxist trio, will be appearing at Birmingham Foundry May 16th, Leeds Duchess of York 17th, Edinburgh Venue 18th, Newcastle Cumberland Arms 19th, London Highbury Garage 20th, Chester Jones's 21st, Dublin Bagger in 23rd, Belfast Art College 24th, Cork uh, Sir Henry's 25th and Liverpool Flying Picket on the 27th. Will the US noise merchants support Babes in Toyland at the following venues? Manchester Boardwalk May the 9th, Glasgow Garage 10th, Wolverhampton Wolfrun Hall 11th, Bristol University 12th and London Astoria 14th. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens, starting this week with Don K in New York. The Continental Club recently held a Kill City night featuring a band made up of rotating musicians. Participants included members of Murphy's Law, Degeneration, Wax and Hot Unsigned Local Stitches. The evening set hosted by Murphy's duo Jimmy Gestapo and Todd Youth consisted solely of Black Flag covers. The wildest gig of the year hit New York's Brownie Club this week. Tribute 8, a lesbian punk band from San Francisco who are signed to Alternative Tentacles, were fronted by a self-proclaimed hag who removed her top after the first few songs and performed the rest of the set bare-chested. She later sprouted a dildo from her pants and asked the sound man, who was kinda cute, if he wanted to suck her dick. The dildo was later punctured with a knife during a song about gang castration, while another track was dedicated to one of the band members' mother, who left her husband for another woman because she's smart. As if this wasn't enough, Tribute 8 chucked in a couple of uh, acapella ditties about lesbian sex and the O.J. Simpson trial. Cheap Trick at the Birch Hill Club and Quiet Riot at the Limelight were two of the dinosaur bands who pulled into town this week, but US News has been unable to find anyone who went to either show. At the other end of the spectrum, a whole host of New York bands have just signed record deals. Roots Rockers Jackass are linked with Atlantic, uh, up to 20 A&R Weasels had been spotted at their last few shows, Excellent power pop trio Speed McQueen have been picked up by Mercury and Punkers H2O have gone to Epitaph. The label's first East Coast signing, H2O got their break opening up for Rancid, who liked them so much they introduced them to Epitaph head honcho Brett Guritz. US News Extra 
White Zombie's new album Astro Creep has blasted straight into the Billboard charts at number 6. Die Cheerleader are currently working in New York on a new album. It's being produced by Henry Rollins and should be issued later this year through London Records. Testament have recorded a show at the legendary Fillmore West in San Francisco. The results will be put out by the band's own burnt offering label later in the year under the title of Live at the Fillmore. Ministry should complete work on their latest studio outing very shortly. Titled Filth Pig, it will be out through WEA during September. We now join Lisa Johnson in LA. Rick Rubin is doing the knob twiddling of the new ACDC album in Los Angeles. And DC tonsil torturer Brian Johnson has been seen at the Cock and Ball English pub in Santa Monica nearly every night, soothing his vocal cords with oceans of Guinness and singing along with the Mop Tops, a local Beatles tribute act. Nelson will finally release their new album Because They Can on June the 6th, five years after their self-titled debut went platinum in the US. The flaxen-haired twins Gunner and Matthew Nelson have got snapper William Wegman to do their cover-up. Wegman is famous for taking portraits of his dog in uh, fairy tale settings. This time, he's dressed his dog in the twins' old flashy stage clothes and topped him off with a flowing blonde wig. Is there any truth to the rumour that the Muffs' lead singer Kim Shatluck was approached by TV producer Aaron Spelling, creator of Beverly Hills 90210, Charlie's Angels and Dynasty, to develop a weekly series based around the trials and tribulations of a female rock star? Shatluck is currently promoting the new Muffs album Blender and Blonder. Hot Seattle combo Devilhead were kicked off Extreme's US tour after three dates apparently because Nuno Betancourt's brother's band Soul wanted to play. Meanwhile, Devilhead have thrown together a quick tour to promote their latest album, Your Ice Cream's Dirty, which is out in the US on Pearl Jam Man Stone Gossard's Loose Groove label. Beavis, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Next up in Kerrang! we have concerts, and the first concert reviewed this week is Thunder, Skin and Blow live at the Guildhall Portsmouth on Thursday, April the 27th. This one is reviewed by Malcolm Dome, and this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. So here it is, the tour that's supposedly a free-fisted Brit rock punch right to the glass jaw of Americana. And if it wasn't quite a knockout punch, then don't have a go at support act Skin or Blow. Blow shuffled on as if they were standing in the queue at the local soup kitchen, but once plugged in, these vicarious vagabonds were energised into a formidable live unit, not just inspired by the music of the late 60s Hendrix, Joplin, The Doors, The Nice Sly Stone, they're imbued with its very spirit. Dave Gooding has a soulful voice and laid-back charisma that charms, whilst Bruce John Dickinson's acid bath blues guitar just seems tireless. The Fivesome also have some fine songs, in particular new single Angel Sitting in a Tree, Maybe they are just a tad too relaxed for their own good, but Blow are something special. Skin won mighty, and on three counts this foursome proved there is real international potential in their blood. Neville McDonald's star quality and improving songwriting talent of uh, Mike Gray's the rediscovery of musical sanity. Guitarist Gray has for the most part spent the last two years in a self-indulgent wilderness. Thankfully, he's now once again tailoring his style to suit the band and the music. This is evident on the new material, of which the stunning pop-rock drama of I Believe In You and the funk flash of Do The Right Thing were especially impressive, and if he still delivered occasional overcooked bollocks, this is now rare. But it's McDonald who makes it all work. From the moment he strode in to open a money, he was the focal point of the band's performance. His bonhomie and cool hand vocals work in the audience to perfection. The man is without question one of the finest traditional style frontmen British rock has thrown up in eons, and the main reason why Skin could be a formidable rock force in the coming years. So could Thunder follow him and make this a truly triumphant night. They opened up on fire with She's So Fine and promised something spectacular, but it never quite materialised. Sure, the band were totally committed, they toiled and sweated, giving everything they had, but that was the point. It looked like hard work. Spurred by a huge crowd, it was only with material from the first LP, She's So Fine, Higher Ground, Love Walked In, Backstreet Symphony, that one could feel Thunder's magic. Only then did Danny Bell sound like one of the greatest uh, 90s vocalists. Did Luke Morley play melodic, aggressive guitar to the highest standard and Ari James provide solid, passionate drumming. But that says it all. Thunder threatened to take the world by the scruff of the neck on that first album. Since then, they've relaxed their grip. I'm convinced the tireless, fun-loving band of the early 90s still lurks under the surface, but in 95, Thunder seemed to want people to accept them as a serious, mature band. Time to bring back the silly wigs, time to get back to what you do best. 
The next concert review this week is Offspring, Quicksand and Guttermouth live at Rock City Nottingham on Tuesday, April the 25th. Reviewed by Paul Travers, this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. If Green Day and Offspring are the Nirvana and Pearl Jam with a splendid and newly popular fun punk scene, then Guttermouth might just be at Stone Temple Pilots. Like Offspring, they're from Orange County and specialise in high-octane punkoid assaults. They make a great noise and whip up the pip, but there's nothing really distinctive about the band, and anyone equally fashy and unruly could have done the job. The singer dances like a muppet and takes the piss out of just about everyone, but Guttermouth, entertaining as they are, are also forgettable. Quicksand offer an instant change of mood and provide a much more satisfying noise. Geographically, we've moved to New York and it seems that environment really does have an effect on musical output. The fun shine's gone, replaced by the sound of concrete. There was a chance that Quicksand's cerebral, twisted hardcore would go over this largely youthful crowd's collective head. Instead, it goes through. The slab-like riffs hit painfully home every time while the songs twist and turn and holler. Walter Shrifles' vocals somehow managed to be both melodic and grating, like Perry Farrell at his harshest. And the whole is a deliciously hard yet unpredictable noise fest. Offspring open with Bad Habit, and the capacity crowd knows every word, especially the stupid dumb shit goddamn motherfucker bit which they chant unaided. Punk or what? Offspring's success is rooted in this lowest common denominator appeal. Not just swearing, of course, but basic, fast, slammable tunes with catchy yob chant choruses and hooks just about everywhere. No amount of energy can make up for a lack of good songs, but Offspring have both in abundance. Chuggers like Gotta Get Away still exude shitloads of energy, while speedballs like Genocide retain those refrains. Dexter is a great frontman and part-time punk sex symbol. With dreadlocks flailing and quips quibbing, the rest of the band are surprisingly tight, keeping the songs coherent without reining them in. Come out and play, and the bouncy, scar-flavoured What Happened To You show touches of versatility. But musicianship isn't what Offspring are about. They're about Dexter saying, do something punk, punch your neighbour, before launching into a piss take of Green Day's Longview. And punk schmuck, Offspring are overdriven rock and roll and fun to the max. Jealous 30-year-olds who had their fun in 77 just turn up to complain should go somewhere else. Next up we have Clawfinger and Misery Loves Company live at the Camden Underworld London on Monday April the 24th. Reviewed by Razel, this gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Such a polite audience tonight mumbles manic Misery Voxter Patrick Wirren after a couple of delightful ditties have been pulverised out. Thus, the bunch hugging the lip of the stage get all animated and boisterous in obvious response to the taunt. Dangerous? Nah. Intense? It was getting there. Fascinates the fuck out of me, all this growling and sample shit flying around. I closed my eyes at one point and got a distinct image of a demented Dalek being sucked for all infinity down some hellish techno wind tunnel. But it's all part of Misery Loves Company's charm, I suppose. They wound up their brief assault with a cement mixer stomp of Kiss Your Boots and the two fab My Mind Still Speaks with that almost hypnotic sway chorus. Then I uttered, yeah, that was alright. Next in the ring on this Swedish double barrel attack were Clawfinger. Funny, at home earlier playing Use Your Brain While Washing Up, one could not help but picture a black band, or at least American. And here's this skinny white geek with a chin sprout gasping for an air pocket in the stifling sticky heat and doing crazy things with his eyeballs. Maybe he was still seeing Daleks from the first band. They're samey. You've heard it all before. Clawfinger about as rap metal as rap metal gets, with brainwashed choruses pummeling their personal social sus and grievances at ya. But those bass rhythms really get groove-tastic. Got my bum twitching, although we did recently change our washing powder brand. If you thought this next song called Nigger was racist, Storm Zack, you're in the wrong audience, so get the fuck out. Nigger, 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 he chants. Catchy. Ah, uh, but they played my personal deranged little fave, What I Say, complete with Brat Kib sample and sensibly finished with a truth, motherfucker. A hot and noisy evening, I ain't complaining. Next up we have Cubanate and Judder, live at the Camden Underworld, London, on Friday, April the 14th. This one is reviewed by Moret and this also gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Build is Cubanate v Judder, the rematch. This is hardly a world title fight, such titles already being taken by the likes of Killing Joke and Ministry, but there is no doubt we are looking at future champions. Judda, as ever, come out swinging. They're already hitting you with a push me, shove you sample from Mad Max, 
before the first song kicks in and from then on they remain intense and threatening. Neither frontman Pedro or keyboard poker Andy minus his keys because they're smashed up are people mummy would want you to bring home. They uh, holler what sound like nihilistic threats over industrial dance beats, neither bothering to introduce any of the songs. Again, they've dropped a couple of the better known tunes in favour of ever mutating new ones. Though, it's excellent hearing such favourites as Dance Like Fools, complete with Ace of Spades sample. Chudder will never be safe. There is always a danger they'll punch below the belt. Cubanate are less abrasive and as such probably more accessible. Though he tries, vocalist Mark Hill, an ex-advertising executive according to his press guff, doesn't intimidate the audience like Pedro. In the long run, this will probably work in his favour. Musically too, Cubanate are more user-friendly. They write catchy ditties, opening tonight with Oxyacetaline and continually assaulting with guitar-laden dance sounds. There is a danger of repetition however with a techno influence offering similarities between too many tracks and Hill's voice could use more variety if he doesn't want to end up sounding like a Dalek. Playing as a four-piece, they are better than before, and when I give Judder a points victory, the audience seems to opt for a draw. Either way, you'll definitely be knocked out. Next in Kerrang, we have a piece entitled Pagans on the Piss. No, this ain't Club 1830, it's pagan metal god Skyclad getting pissed up in Greece. Chris Watts gets bladdered with them. The fact that Martin Walkier has passed out over a plate of Greek food should come as no surprise to anyone. Skyclad's hospitable frontman once passed out on a cross-channel ferry. He woke up in the middle of the dance floor surrounded by the DJ and a full cabaret. Martin is supposed to have cut down his drinking. By his own admission, he was necking four cans of super kestrel bastard beer for breakfast. But Martin quit drinking to make Silent Whales of Luna Sea, their fifth and final album for Noise Records. He's been working out and looks tanned and fit. Athens proves to be a something of a temporary relapse. This is because the Greeks simply worship and adore Skyclad. Readers of Greece's only national rock magazine recently voted Skyclad the third best band in the world behind Metallica and Slayer. As a result, minor pandemonium ensues whenever the band leave the hotel. Yesterday, 700 fans turned out to greet the band at Rock City Record Store. One of them invited the whole band back for a meet at his mother's house. Almost 25 fans kept a vigil in the hotel foyer. Skyclad are here for four days at the expense of the promotion company, staging one show at the Rodon Club. Last night, Carter USM managed to pull only 400 people to the 1500 capacity venue. The Skyclad show has been sold out for weeks. All of this is not lost on Skyclad's new fiddle player. Last week, Georgina George Biddle was playing the local pub circuit around Newcastle. Pluck and fiddle was a hobby for the primary school music teacher. In January, uh, she sent a tape to Skyclad after Kath Howe left the band to concentrate on an engineering degree. George agreed to deliver the violin parts for Silent Whales of Lunacy, but was still unsure about joining the band full-time. In Athens, she decided to chuck everything in for Skyclad. All of a sudden, I've gone from being a music teacher to all this, she says, waving a bottle of beer around the hotel foyer. I keep pinching myself to see if it's real. To be honest, I feel a bit hysterical. She's also been feeling physically sick with nerves. Before the show, Martin tells her to go and take a photograph of the crowd to help you calm down. But the sight of 1500 Skyclad fans punching the air and nearly killing themselves to get in the photo has the completely opposite effect. The reaction to Skyclad in Athens tonight and Europe in general is a million miles away from their relatively lowly status back home. Five albums into their career and still the talk is of uh, potty paganism and mental metal lepers. To make their point, Skyclad once played a gig for their distribution company entirely naked. You cannot ignore five blokes and one girl forever playing Finn Lizzie's Emerald without a stitch of clothing. Martin is proud to be British and has largely accepted the state of affairs in his native country. We are none more British, he says, but I could happily live right here in Athens 100%. People are just so honestly nice. Not in an arse-sticking way, they just appreciate what you do. Even in America, everyone knew exactly what the band is about. Not one single journalist over there ever said, hey man, what's with a Robin Hood image? In the UK, all they do is ask us why we wear these clothes. Recently, Skyclad's image has been toned down. I don't think what I wore tonight made me look like Coco the fucking clown, says Martin. I used to wear eyeliner to make my eyes look bigger. I did it for the people at the vent back of the venue so they could see me. You do tend to end up looking a bit possessed though. The mistake I made was doing it for photographs and the swords, but we didn't have the money to do anything else. You don't have to ask twice for the third best band in Greece to strip and dive naked into the hotel's rooftop swimming pool for a midnight photo session. Only George covers her blushes with a flimsy cheesecloth dress. Skyclad are bladdered, and for the time being quite happy to bask in the numbing party atmosphere. 
Mere days after their return from Greece, drummer Keith Baxter and guitarist Dave Pugh quit the band. But even this upheaval cannot dampen Martin Walkire's spirit. There's a thousand reasons to be happy and a hundred to be miserable, says Martin. We're just six absolutely normal people who want to travel around, sink a few beers and meet friends. I don't see what's so balmy about that. I still believe in human beings, but maybe you're right. Maybe they are all cunts. Maybe I'm a bit naive. Maybe we see the world through rose-tinted glasses. He raises his bottle of red wine. Maybe we're lucky. Communication. The letter of the week this week begins. As Kerrang has now obviously opted for the less rocktastic but admittedly popular hallowed style of journalism, might I submit a few ideas for your upcoming Soraway issues. 1. Gene Simmons on the history of the modern undergarment, thrill and gasp as the bewigged Kiss Bassmeister takes us on a journey for his favourite and indeed culturally important jockeys, briefs, boxers and wire fronts. And what about a tie-in competition to win some of the above items? 2. The Stone Temple Pilots' Interior Design Awards. Everybody's favourite pseudo-grunchters take us on a twisty, turny trip through the living rooms, kitchens and ooh-er bedrooms of today's rock stars. Scott Weiland tells uh, why the right pastel shades are just so important. 3. Penises. Large and loads of them. 4. Tits. Massive. Even more. 5. Shagging. 6. Orgasms. Not good enough? Want something more offbeat? Well, it's a long shot, but it might just work. Try an interview with somebody about the music they make. Nah, far too radical and it'll never sell. Kevin Hickford, Enfield. Ooh, Kev, you've got us rumbled. We're all really working for the sun on the QT. And you're this week's Kerrang! Cap winner. Now, where is Gene's phone number? Editor. Permission to shout hurrah very loudly, sir. Hurrah. Had an absolutely splendid night out at the Astoria recently watching that fine Mr. Dickinson's combo. The band was so tight you could twang them. Proof indeedy that although they are young fellows and look about 12, they display great musical maturity. But what a bizarre concoction of audience members. Evidently, this is a recognised family night out and I've never noticed it before. But great legs BD. Zoe Millman, London. I was very pleased to read Steve Blush's recent review of Extreme's gig in New York's Academy in issue 540. It's nice to see Extreme getting the recognition they deserve. However, one point which puzzled me was the description of new drummer Mike Mangini as unimpressive. This is simply wrong. Just listen to his drumming on the guitar solo to It's a Monster, where he plays the double bass drums at blistering speed along with Nuno Betancourt's guitar. To hear how good he really is, Getting Mangini in the band has fixed their only weak link, replacing the plodding but competent drumming of Paul Geary. Aaron Shaw, New Barnet. I work in a nightclub that plays fucking house music. I've just come home, it's 2.30am and I'm waiting for my cheese. I've dug out my old ACDC tape Let There Be Rock and Go Down Is Pumping. Fucking cool. Diamond Dave, Newport. Gagging for a shagging. Do I need this? Yes I do, I need you to print a sexually gorgeous picture of Kettle from Apes, Pigs and Spacemen as he is very worthy of being the sex beast of the week. He can come and suck my feelings dry anytime. Rachel, County Durham. You've really sunk to the lowest level ever now. I'm talking of course about the interview with Glenn Benton in issue 542. I don't know how many female readers you had left after the endless pics of Pamela Anderson in the last few months, but I put good money on there being none now. Does Mr. Benton really think that by divulging that he and his laughable band branded several girls, it will endear him to the opposite sex? Branding people hurts, and porn movies are not real life. What a sad cunt. Paul, Yorkshire. On page 63 of Kerrang 540, it was advertised that Morbid Angel would be appearing in the following issue. They did not. If all the Kerrang staff want to live until their next birthday, they must feature lots of Morbid Angel pronto. Easy from Ashton Underline. Look out for a Morbid Angel spectacular in the very near future. Editor. Ill communication. We now come to this week's cover stars, The Wild Hearts. Frantic five-page frenzy, nightmare in New York. It's funny that they call it a five-page frenzy. One of those pages um, in the middle of Kerrang! is actually the cover telling you what's in the five pages. So it's actually only four pages. Suicide, self-mutilation, split in the band, ginger reveals all in a Kerrang! exclusive. All pictures by Paul Harrys. The Wild Hearts are coming home. 
As they pack their bags to leave their Brooklyn shithole, Paul Reeves finds Ginger and Co fed up, fucked and on the brink of splitting up. Times Square, New York City. Dusk, the place looks like Piccadilly Circus after a prolonged course of steroid injections. Huge slashes of neon flash from giant billboards hung from the buildings that tower dizzily over every inch of dull grey sidewalk. Better still, it could be a garish Technicolor movie scene on repeat. Steam belches from the grills in the road. A ceaseless stream of yellow cabs and big fat Cadillacs fly past. Their horns ablaze. And then there's the people. All of the pimps and pushers, freaks and fuck-ups, probably. It's 7pm. The Wild Hearts have strolled into the rush hour battle to have their photograph taken. Danny, Ginger and Rich, all dark sunglasses and black leather jackets, haul themselves onto a concrete island in the middle of the chaos and leer as the first flashbulb goes off. They look cool, just like a rock and roll band should. Hey, shouts a strangled voice from a car jammed at a traffic light. Are you guys in a rock band? Yeah, draws Ginger lighting a cigarette. We're Guns N' Roses. The Wild Hearts came to New York to film a video for the I Wanna Go Where The People Go single. Taking the title literally, they decided to stay. First at the infamous Chelsea Hotel, where they managed to set their room on fire, and now in an apartment at 319 DeGraw Street, Brooklyn. As illegal aliens, they're not supposed to be able to rent accommodation in the US, but they just happen to run into an estate agent with a heart. It's really just a big room with a toilet with a bath in one corner, explains Danny. There's cockroaches everywhere. There were ants too, until Ginger went out and got these pills that killed him off. And there's a heating system that sounds like a rocket taking off when it comes on. It isn't pretty, but neither's Brooklyn. If the borough of Manhattan, home to Times Square, the Empire State Building and Greenwich Village is New York's tourist trap, then Brooklyn is but one part of its black heart. It's not a place where you're accepted as a limey and welcomed into people's homes for dinner, says Ginger. The people here don't give a shit. Brooklyn is in fact one of the most cosmopolitan urban landmasses in the world. Whites and blacks, Hispanics and Jews, Italians and Poles all live in an area the size of the seventh biggest city in the US. Except they don't mix. Everyone has their own territory, nods Danny, and everyone hates everyone else. It's not like in London where you can just go into a pub for a drink. If a white guy goes into a black bar here, he'll get a knife in his back and vice versa. You feel really alienated, nods Ginger. Brooklyn's done us the world of good, but it's also made us realise that we're not from America. And so, six weeks after they decamped to the Big Apple, the Wild Hearts are returning to England. In truth, the big American adventurers turned sour in the past week or so. They're bored, they're fed up, and they've been fighting. They'll be coming back to a new album, The Remarkable Fuck, to a new level of respect from all the music papers that had previously passed them off as a hack metal mob and chiefly to their ongoing and increasingly desperate search for a replacement for CJ. We've retired to the bar at the Paramount Hotel on West 46th Street to talk about all these things and more. Ginger goes first, Danny and Rich follow. Ginger takes a sip from his fifth margarita and removes his sunglasses for the first time since he got up at 4pm. His eyes look like pinholes pricked into the white paper of his face. Initially, he's in fireman for both spirits. He also laughs a lot. Well, he sniggers in the mariner, not unlike a moped misfiring. Later, a darker, more contradictory, but no less talkative mood will take him over. He's read about his supposed suicide attempt in the English papers. That was a great one, he sighs. If I tried to commit suicide, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I went through a bit of a shitty phase. I tasted the blackness of uh, my soul, and I got to the point where I was considering it. I had it all planned out, and it didn't do it, and I really hate myself for not doing it. I felt like I um, had no one in the whole world, and still to this day I feel like I've got no one. But I'm a fighter and a survivor. He says a lot more about suicide and the taste of his black soul, but that's for another time. The ugly scar on his right arm where he stubbed out 60 cigarettes to kill the pain is all that really needs to be said for now. We are, after all, here to speak of New York and fucking. When I first came over here, the people were really friendly and I thought, ah, in this place people just want to help, Ginger begins. By the third week you're thinking, stop helping, leave me a fucking loan. By the fourth week, you've started to piss them off and by the fifth week, you've fell out with them. I don't need help. I've got back on my feet at various stages in my life and it hasn't been with anybody else's help. It's an alien concept. Have you missed England? I've missed certain things he considers. My girlfriend, Newcastle Brownell, and I've missed the fact that people have a good moan in England. I like going to the pub and having a good fucking complaint about things. Fuck is released in the UK on May 15th. It is undoubtedly the most scrotum titanly exciting rock record anyone will put their name to all year. It's a great album, Ginger agrees. It's a really great band and that's why anything we do will be a natural progression. It won't be hype. We'll get that award and we won't thank anybody. We fucking did it our way. 
Life's a game of chess. You've got to stay one step ahead of the fuckers. And there's not one person around me that I need at the minute. Everybody they know in the world could drop out of the picture and I'd still get myself back on my feet. What about Danny and Rich? They're big boys, he shoots back. They'd sort themselves out in the advent of the Wild Hearts coming to a close. I've been so loyal to people that it's been like indigestion. I've also made the mistake of respecting people too much. Yeah, it's a very sad and lonely view. It's fucking heartbreaking. But the one thing about the Wild Hearts is that we don't talk about the personal shit that's going on. The only problem with CJ was that his personal life started filtering through to the rest of the band and that's when things started to get shaky. Keep your personal life to yourself. But that total belief in the Wild Hearts as the rock and roll lifestyle incarnate is making it incredibly difficult for you to find a new guitarist. Mark Heads has said that he wouldn't live and breathe the band to the extent that you want. Mark needs to get his fucking interview mode together a bit, he cracks. No, he's a lovely guy. Maybe he wants something that isn't as scary as this. But we're going to know the guy before he even plugs in his guitar. We can teach someone to play. We can teach someone to sing. Fucking hell. We taught CJ to sing. We're still teaching me to sing, but we can't teach him a fucking lifestyle. Where do you want the Wild Hearts to leave? Are you chasing some divine spiritual moment? I don't know. I always told the guys in the band that I'm in this for as much as my life means to me. The day I get bored, I'm fucking off. And I'm bored. Bored with the way things are run and the way things are going with the band. I'm bored having to take the amount of shit I do for being the spokesperson in the band. Certain people in the band think I'm having a whale of a time here. Now, I ain't got a problem with doing everything, but I hate being resentful for it. We'll see how it goes, but don't be a fool and think it's going to last 10 years, because it might not last 10 days. If it ain't got the situation where everybody's fucking glad to be working with each other, I'll go looking for it somewhere else. The Wild Hearts isn't important enough to lose friends over. Who are certain people? I ain't saying. Danny? Ask Danny. Pull some fucking shit out. We're going to take on the world. We're the fucking best band in Britain, no doubt about it. No one else comes fucking close. We're an exciting band. Things happen to us. It's the band I've always wanted to be in, but I didn't realise it was going to be this involved. But you go and interview Danny and Rich about this. Maybe you'll be the catalyst in the whole thing. I'd like to know what certain people think about me, because a lot of times we don't talk to each other. Danny and Rich are introduced to the scene by Ginger. It's time for a few home truths, boys, he cackles. They smile back but then Danny and Rich are as likeable a couple of blokes as you could wish to meet. The first home truth is that Ginger, the man they both acknowledge as the leader, is bored with the band. What he means by being bored is that we're in a position where we're not doing anything, Danny opines. I mean, we've been on the verge of splitting up over the last few weeks. There's been a lot of misunderstandings, but keep the internals internal. What Ginger's on about is because you join a band who aren't arseholes, it doesn't mean they're your best mates, interjects Rich. Now if you're in a situation where you're touring, then it's fine. But if you're not playing, then it starts getting to your head a bit. We wouldn't choose to spend nine months in a single room with each other. Ginger also said certain people in the band resented him being the focus of attention. I think it's probably a situation of us taking Ginger for granted, offers Rich. You let him do the interviews because he's got something to say, and you get so stuck in a rut, you don't see that it's wrong. Finally, he claimed that you let all these problems fester, rather than talking about them. Well, he's talking about them then, replies Danny. He's probably right, because he's a very good talker, and I'm not. All I can do is try and better myself. But he's thinking about the last couple of days. I've talked bullshit, and he has. That's the way it's gone. How has the rest of your time in Brooklyn been going for the band, then? The first couple of weeks out here were brilliant, and the last couple of weeks have been fucking shite, Danny reveals. There's been a lot of drunken bullshit talked. Basically, loads of shite's gone off. At the moment, we're putting up with each other, sort of. It's like we came here to find a guitar player. How do you honestly expect some bloke who's in a half-decent band over here to fucking come back and join us? I just get so fucking frustrated. We came here to do something and we're not doing anything. We want to be on tour, we want to go to Japan, but it all depends on one bloke. There must be some fucking idiot out there who will put up with us free. It isn't Mark Heads. He says he's not joining the Wild Hearts. Ah, oh, right, chokes Danny. Well, cancel next week then. Fuck, we'll never get a guitar player now. But Mark was joining the band for three weeks and was still denying it in the press. Whatever, we'll see. We've made our bed and now we're fucking lying in it. Rich says with a shake of his head. We got ourselves into this mess by sacking CJ in the first place. In hindsight, it was a very foolish thing to do. It was just another shit time for the Wild Hearts and it was almost like we made CJ the scapegoat. It shouldn't have happened like that. We should have thought about it for a couple of days rather than everybody sitting around the table in the pub with their beers. It was one of my worst decisions and one of my biggest lessons. And without another CJ, there's a dark cloud of uncertainty hanging over the fate of fuck. I know, Danny half smiles, but there's a lot of great records out there that nobody got to hear. It's gone midnight. We're in Brownies, a club in the village, waiting to see a punk rock band. 
Danny and Rich are laughing and joking with their video director and Ginger, Ginger's in the street puking up into a dustbin, which is probably where he'll always be, on the outside looking in, spewing his guts up for our entertainment. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy it couldn't get off the turntable. We now come to albums. Prepare to be crucified. The album of the week this week is Deicide, Once Upon the Cross. Reviewed by Malcolm Dome, this gets 5Ks. Glenn Benton could be a right donut. Burning inverted crosses into his forehead, spending too much time talking about satanic nonsense and not enough about his musical prowess. Is it any wonder that people don't take Deicide at all seriously? Once Upon the Cross should change all of that because it is one of the ultimate death metal albums of all time. You want absolute, dedicated, pernicious power? You got it. You want desecrated, diabolic melodies? You got it. You want supreme, raucous, infernal spirit? You got it. This is one almighty album that takes Day Aside as far as they can go down their chosen musical path and leaves their contemporaries stuck in the stalls. The clarity of sound here, courtesy of the veteran Scott Burns, means that for the first time one can actually hear just how good this foursome truly are. The guitars of Eric and Brian Hoffman are so hot they breathe fire through geezers of petrol and leave scorch marks all over the stereo. Meanwhile, the racy rhythm duo of Benton himself and drummer Steve Ashheim packs a greater punch than Mike Tyson fueled up on wood alcohol. And whilst Benton still growls rather than sings, somehow one wouldn't want it any other way. The songs are tightly structured and built for maximum impact, and if the subject matter of most of the material is still very much in the domain of the old horned git, nonetheless, the numbers are all very impressive in their streamlined, metalized state. Most effective are the blaspheming bombast of when Satan rules his world, the spitball theology of Kill the Christian, and the perverse power surges of confessional rape, all classics of the genre. What impresses is that each track has an individual, readily accessible structure that provides it for instant yet lasting recognition, even after the most perfunctory of spins. So, will the metal audience allow Deicide to move away from their sensationalist roots and ridiculous posturing? Can the band, at last, be accepted as a relevant, stylish, extreme metal combo? Having done their level best to destroy any musical credibility they might possess for a succession of hilarious and embarrassing public pronouncements, it may actually now be too late for them to metamorphose into a real musical force. But at least this album gives them a real hope that Deicide can have a long-term musical career. Once Upon the Cross is a breath of welcome, putrid air that will shake up the death metal genre. There won't be a better album of its type this year. Next up, we have Collective Soul with their album, Collective Soul. Reviewed by Xavier Russell, this gets 5Ks. One of the more pleasant surprises to come out of the USA last year was Collective Soul's debut out in Hints, Allegations and Things Left Unsaid, which scored a ginormous stateside hit with a single shine and put Atlanta's finest up there with the big guns. At last, America's finally woken up to good time southern rock and roll with just a hint of grunge, a touch of punk and even the odd hint of thrash. And with three guitars going full pelt, how could Collective Soul fail? The main difference between last year's Hints allegations and this year's Opus is that this time the band have obviously made the record they wanted, with Atlantic taking a backseat apart from putting Bob Clear Mountain on the mixing desk. Collective Soul is a lot heavier than their debut effort. The guitars of Ed Rowland, Dean Rowland and Ross Childress are a joy throughout. There's such a wealth of material on offer it's hard to know where to begin. How's about Smashing Young Man, a real peach of a tune? Like Metallica, you never know which direction they'll veer off into next. The punky riffs are a hoot, and punchy to boot. December, meanwhile, is very simple. Laid-back, multi-layered guitars boarding on Southern, enhanced by soothing vocals before picking up to a mid-stomper-pomper anthem that's hit single written all over it. The whole experience of being sucked into a collective soul tune is simply joyous. There's certainly a watery mood throughout the album, what with titles like Where the River Flows, Fresh Hell Stonehem, or Where the Water Flows, More Like Drizzlehem, or even The She Gathers Rain, gathering serious rain riffs. But it's not all black clouds. Collective Soul does have its lighter moments, such as on Gel, a real party atmosphere powerhouse stomper which should be a barnstorm alive. That just leaves Collection of Goods, which despite its obvious heaviness, spotlights a more experimental Collective Soul with its echoey Vox effects. Collective Soul is a must for lovers of serious riffs and endless guitar solos, thankfully all contained within catchy pop tunes. Marvellous. The next album reviewed is 16 Stone by Bush. 
Reviewed by Paul Rees, this gets 4Ks. A British band had to do the decent thing and break America in the 90s eventually. Whether anyone was expecting it to be a group virtually no one in this country has heard of is another matter entirely. But Bush, initially ignored and passed over in their homeland, took 16 stone to Uncle Sam and promptly shifted records by the 100,000. On the surface, the West London Quartet's tale is a remarkable one. When you've actually heard the record and seen them play live though, it becomes infinitely more reasonable. Bush did not pay homage to the Beatles, the Stones, T-Rex, the new wave of British heavy metal or any other quintessentially English musical history lesson. Rather, they sound just like Nirvana when they're at their most direct and the Pixies when they venture off at relatively obtuse angles. It's a sound that's instantly familiar to a few million Yank kids. And just to help things along, singer-guitarist Gavin Rostell is blessed with chiselled, MTV-friendly cheekbones and a convincing dead-eyed glower. In the current climate, Bush are an image consultant wet dream. Fortunately for their future career prospect, Bush can also write songs with huge hooks and durable tunes. Everything Zen and the standout Little Things, for instance, are lifted to massive hit single status by enormous choruses a chronic amnesiac could remember, while the near-searing machine head and the hazy lit of glycerine capably mark out the album's twin extremes. Sixteen Stone is in fact the perfectly acceptable face of commercial new metal, free from the pretensions of the Stone Temple Pilots and blessed with a knowing pop sensibility, and only a bunch of Brits could take on the world with names like Gavin, Nigel, Dave and Robin. Next we have Strapping Young Lad with their album Heavy As A Heavy Thing. Reviewed by Malcolm Dome, this gets 4Ks. Strapping Young Lad is actually Devon Townsend. You know, the mad Canadian who tried to give Steve Vai's guitar warbling some vocal colour, failed, and then attempted to bring some semblance of focus to the Wild Hearts' frightening unpredictability, failed. Now he's got his own solo project, and I mean solo. Devon is responsible for everything you hear on this record and he's done a rather fine job of it. Heavy as a heavy thing might sound like a one-liner from Blackadder, but there is nothing silly about this album. The combination of mental metal riffage, semi-operatic harmonies and quasi-industrial noise is more ludicrous than Nora Batty in Playboy, but it actually works, in particular on the tracks SYL, In the Rainy Season and Drizzle Hell. And if the notion of Queen Meets Ministry in Morbid Angel's Garage sounds strange enough to get your attention, then you'll love this nonsense. And what does the album end with? A glorious tribute to Judas Priest in the form of a cover of Exciter that virtually mirrors the Priest's live version from Unleashed in the East. Suits me, sir. And finally for this week's episode, we have a piece entitled Tattooed Beat Messiah. That's White Zombie's super freak Rob Zombie, who reveals the tales behind his tattoos to the Big Kerrang's tattooed beer monster Morat. London's Regent's Hotel is very posh, all crystal chandeliers and carpets up to your knees. The staff here don't have opinions because Sir is always right, but you can't help wondering what they say about some of the guests behind their backs. Up on the fourth floor lurks Rob Zombie, frontman for US Astro Rockers White Zombie, a scruffy ragamuffin fucker with matted hair and an armful of tattoos. I am reliably informed that if you wish to see the gentleman and he is not in his room, then one of the staff will wander through the bar ringing a little bell and saying paging Mr Zombie without even a flicker of a smile. If Sam wants to call himself Rob Zombie then Sir will be addressed as Mr Zombie, but you can bet your life they have already made up their minds that Sir is not someone they'd like to bump into in a dark alley. Once your body is stained with Indian ink, people will always jump to conclusions about what kind of person you are. People always assume that I have a motorcycle, shrugs Mr Zombie, but I'm 30 and I only just got a car. It's one of those gigantic cars that gets one mile to the gallon. The exhaust pours out black smoke, destroying the environment. Years ago, everybody with tattoos and long hair was some kind of biker, but now it's become so trendy. Trendy it may be, but the ancient art of tattooing is still not acceptable in normal society. In some countries, Japan in particular, only gangsters have tattoos. And if we're honest about it, that's part of the attraction. It's cool, agrees Rob. Anything that stops you being connected with regular people is fine by me. Once you get tattoos, it kind of guarantees you can never be normal again. Which is good, because a lot of people are kind of weird when they're younger. But as they get older, they get all conservative and end up just like their parents. It guarantees you'll never be like your parents, unless your parents are bikers. My kids would probably turn out to be young Republicans or accountants. You can't really hide tattoos, but I think I'll avoid my face until I really need money and I want to be in a freak show. I think I'll avoid my butt too. When I was a little kid, my uncle had tattoos, recalls Rob. He was a biker. I don't know if he was a hell's angel or not. He was my mum's evil brother and he had a big devil on his arm that said born to race hell. I used to think he was really cool. He looked just like Lemmy. 
What about bands getting tattoos for instant credibility? You see that all the time, chuckles Rob, especially in LA with all these cheese bands like Poison and Warrant lined up with their little dinky tattoos like check me out, aren't we hard? You don't have to be hard to have tattoos, you just have to be able to deal with pain. Sometimes the skinniest, wimpiest people are covered from head to toe. I asked the guy who did my tattoos who's the worst and he said sometimes big bikers come in and they second the needle touches them and they faint. Then you'll get a little 90 pound girl who says go ahead, tattoo my whole back. That doesn't seem so common now. I think a lot of people figured out that they don't come off. But some bands are still into covering their whole bodies. Biohazard collect tattoos from around the world when they're on tour. That's kinda cool smiles Rob. I guess it makes sense in a way. It's like a scrapbook on your body. But there has been the occasional disaster. You see, some people just can't spell. And if not as legendary as Motohead and exploded Barmy Army Goose, Biohazard's Evan Seinfeld has a misspelled tattoo that reads State of the World Address. I can't believe they don't check the spellings, Hoot Zombie. There's certain tattoos that I'm just amazed at. This guy had fucked the police in inch high letters going around his entire neck. And I saw this picture of a guy with Mike Tyson's face covering his whole back. That was pretty wild. Pantera's Phil Anselmo has tattoos that read like a book. Rob Zombie isn't into that kind of stuff. I just haven't thought of anything I want to say every day, he shrugs. And there's something very strange about scarring your body with a tattoo that says unscarred. Rob's tattoos are all done by Guy Aitchinson in Chicago who's noted for his work on Ministries Al Jorgensen. Rob's tats are very much in keeping with White Zombie's album artwork, which Rob designs. This is my tribute to Halloween, he says coyly, showing a piece on his right forearm. I got it last November, and I hadn't had anything in a long time because I didn't have any money. This, he says, revealing his right upper arm, was the first thing I got, and I got it all done at once because I didn't know if I'd ever want to do it again. What inspired it? I don't know, he admits. I didn't know what I wanted so I thought I'd put everything in it. It was like, I know I want eyeballs and flames and a skull and blood and an explosion behind it. And then it was, no, I want a shrunken head, but he has to have an eight ball. That's the one I'm least familiar with because I can never see it. It was also the most painful one, especially as it gets up towards your armpit. You're like, stop right now. Rob's left arm continues the manic cartoon theme and is nicely set off by a, a demon reminiscent of a Uriah Heap album cover by Les Edwards. I wanted to get this intergalactic space thing going, says Rob. I gave it so little thought, that's kind of stupid. You give the first one a lot of thought, and then after that, it's all oh, whatever. Everyone else I know gives it so much thought. Every tattoo has so much meaning, but I just go in there and go nuts. After I got this one, I kind of hated it and wished I'd never got it, but it was too late. So you didn't get the planets tattooed on you because you're into astrology? No, says Rob almost apologetically. Some people go, this arm represents life and this one is death and my chest is the eternal struggle of man against nature. I don't fall for that crap. I mean, that's cool and a lot of people are really into tribal tattoos, but I'm not part of that tribe. I guess I should have attached a lot more significance to the whole thing. Some people are so serious about their tattoos, but when you die, they're going to rot away. By his own admission, Rob is a bad advert for tattooing. Indecisive about what he wants, he fidgets while getting work done and then picks the scabs, ruining some of the colour. His only concession to tattoos is staying out of the sun. But then I stay out of the sun anyway, so that works out okay, he mutters. You know, the best thing about getting tattoos is hearing the horror stories about other people fainting, falling off the table, losing control of their bodily functions. Pretty funny. The guy who did mine told me there was this guy who used to come in and get his whole body tattooed, but he didn't want any ink. He just wanted the feeling of it. You could actually see the image because it would swell up, and when the swelling went away, he had no tattoo. He just liked the pain. And he was a businessman in a suit. Fucking weird. Are people always showing you their tattoos, Rob? Always, exclaims Rob. They just start taking their clothes off. You're like, hey, I didn't ask to see yours. Put your pants back on. People start dropping their pants in a restaurant going, check this out. What's the worst one you've seen? You know that band Vinnie Vincent Invasion? That guy that was in Kiss for five minutes? I saw a guy who had that tattooed on him. But the worst tattoo I ever saw was when I was at high school. There was this kid whose mum had a tattoo gun that she used for tattooing serial numbers on dogs. She was a vet or something. And this kid got hold of the gun and they all started tattooing each other. That was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I was pretty old when I got my first one, 25 or something. I think it was worth waiting because God knows what horrible tattoo I'd be stuck with. A Vinnie Vincent Invasion tattoo maybe. Chart Attack and the number one album this week is still the best rock album in the world ever, Volume 2 by Various. Number one in the singles chart is I Wanna Go Where The People Go, The Wild Hearts. And number one in the indie album charts is Smash by Offspring. The reader's chart this week comes from Pius Miga from County Tipperary. His chart begins one Nevermind Nirvana, two Master of Reality Black Sabbath, three Bossa Nova The Pixies, four The Queen Is Dead The Smiths, 
5 Unjustice for All Metallica, 6 Pod the Breeders, 7 Dirt Alice in Chains, 8 Bandwagon S Teenage Fan Club, 9 Forest of Equilibrium Cathedral, and 10 Substance Joy Division. The star tracks this week come from Bruce Dickinson. His chart begins 1 Gorrit Dub War Live Session, 2 I Alone Live, 3 Pandemonium Killing Joke, 4 21st Century Digital Boy Bad Religion, and 5 Highway to Hell by ACDC. Next week in Kerrang Back Issues, You've Been Framed, Terrorvision, Get Their Knobs Out, In Bed with Whitfield Crane, and The Wild Hearts, Sonic Youth, Hole, Dog Eat Dog, Paradise Lost, Pearl Jam, Warrior Soul, Fight, and Thunder. And the little clip in this week says, Dear Mr. Noise Agent, please reserve me a copy of Kerrang Issue 545 on sale Wednesday, May the 10th. If I don't get my copy of Crane 545, I'll get Deicide's Glen Benton to pop round and burn an inverted cross on your forehead. Lovely. Thank you so much for listening. As always, uh, we'll be back next Wednesday. Um, so I'll talk to you all then. Bye for now.